Thank you for listening to the Silver Club podcast. Here's your host, two-time Walker Cupper and former world amateur number one Steve Scott, and men's golf coach at Yale University and golf historian Colin Sheehan. All right, Colin, we are back. Another Silver Club podcast this week, and we speculated back on Monday. This was just before the announcement came out that the Masters was going to be postponed, and an official date has been set for November 12th to the 15th. Pretty exciting. Listen, that would be, I think everyone would love to sign for a, uh, a Masters in November for that to happen. That would be, that would be so beautiful. We're crossing our fingers for sure. There's no question about that. And, you know, there's still, you know, the whole world is up in the air right now, but for the Masters committee to give us all just a glimmer of hope during Masters week like this and have us, you know, I think it's just the, the ability to look forward to something. I mean, I think that's the, the biggest thing we're just trying to we're trying to find hope wherever we can is when we turn on the TV, we have a we've got a death ticker and, you know, we want we want we want some positive stuff out there. And this is a, this is surely a positive. You know, and I um, I miss the Masters every year. I'm always obviously in the in the thick of the April calendar with the golf team, usually almost sort of you know, five out of every six years at Princeton or, or hosting our own tournament. And I will, I will vow to attend the masters in November. If it's, if it's happening, I, I hadn't, I don't think I've been there since 1999. So uh, it's been a while. Uh, I would love to get down there and, and, and attend the pig pole and, and uh, maybe get a squeeze in around at Palmetto and see, see old friends and, and, and celebrate, celebrate the game that it is it could be one of the most popular masters ever right i mean i i've got i actually got some tickets uh just before they postponed the event back a month ago or so and a few i'd love to have my kids go and experience this this it may be a once in a lifetime thing if it if it comes to bear and and then to have two masters really within a six-month period potentially with uh you know in april date as well i uh man it's uh it's a lot to look forward to for sure but but yeah just thinking about you know how the golf course will play right i mean they, they've got all the the, the oregon ryegrass is being uh will be will be popped in there and you know i guess if augusta national if there's any place that can do it and make the the golf course absolutely one thousand percent perfect it would be there wouldn't it well, there'll be there'll be there'll be uh, vegetation flowering that we're not even familiar with. I mean, obviously, uh, it, it, we wouldn't get the azaleas in bloom, but that that Maybe wasn't. Maybe they'll truck them in from somewhere. You never know, right? <laughs> right, right. But it'll it'll be beautiful. It'll it'll be a different. It may not have any humidity. I mean, I you know you know what, very well about golf in the southeast in November. That is a beautiful month. It's almost even might even rival April. Those might be the two best months for the state of georgia it, it is um, I li- yeah living in north carolina just north of charlotte like i do it's uh yeah the, the golf the golf in early mid-november is really good uh should be dry firm fast yeah they should get the green i mean the greens are always fast at augusta don't i mean no matter what but it, it it's got to be the uh it's going to be the ripe time 
really to play. I hear they're going to they're going to cap out the number of participants in the event to 96 and anybody if they do have a PGA Tour event, uh, which we assume they will between between now and then any of those winners will be eligible for the 21 version. So they've kind of cut off the uh, the number there. And we have to think about the other majors, the PGA Championship, the U.S. Open, and then the Open Championship. Maybe we can start there first because that's the one that was that's canceled over there. The They've canceled Wimbledon and totally canceled the Open Championship, pushing back the 149th edition at Royal St. George's to 2021. And then so the 150th, uh, anniversary of the event can be played at the home of golf at St. Andrews. Uh, what's, what's your take on all that? You know, well, by the way, it'd be the 150th uh, edition of the open, uh, not the anniversary, not to, uh, or excuse me, 150th edition. <laughs> I, I, I got to get my terminology right. Sorry. Thank you. Uh, no, but the, you know, it's interesting. There's such a, there, the open does a, those links courses don't lend themselves to a split T start. I was just talking to someone, a friend in, in England and um, you know, the open needs that maximum daylight they get in July up there. So they can, they have tea times literally from 6am to 5pm uh, <laughs> off the first tee. And, wow. Uh, half of those links course, I guess Muirfield, you could have one in 10 T start and St. George's isn't that bad, uh, but you couldn't do it. At, you couldn't do it at most of those places. And, I don't think they had, they couldn't, I don't think they could have identified, I don't think they would have had the daylight in September or October if they had wished to, to push it back. And it's hard to believe that for the first time since 1873, not since young Tommy won three times and that they had, he, he, he took ownership of the belt and they didn't, they didn't even have a competition, uh, has the, the open championship not taken place for reasons other than world wars. Um, that was a, it was an interesting decision by the RNA. They, um, I'm surprised they made it as soon as they did. They probably, they definitely have, I think, um, maybe having your prime minister on a, on uh, in, in the intensive care unit yeah. might make, make your, your justifications for things a little more uh, obvious. What yeah. are your thoughts about just can't, having them having canceled it entirely? Yeah, you as as a golf fan, for sure, you would have hoped that there might have been some sort of alternate date i guess yeah right so that september date that the u.s open <clears throat> has ultimately taken um you're right there's just there's just not enough light for what they want to do those golf courses are just not set up for that first and tenth tee start and yeah I, I guess and even there was some speculation uh going around social media and whatnot that you know there was some big insurance policy that they may have cashed in on somehow uh, not sure to the validity of that one, but uh, somebody out there spreading it. And it's, it sounds plausible at least, but um, <laughs> it, let's talk about the U.S. Open real quick. In New York, only really a few miles away from that epicenter of New Rochelle, New York, Westchester County. Again, just prayers go out to everybody out there and all your families, extended families, everybody for going through this and everybody on the front lines fighting the this horrible virus uh, that we need a, a vaccine for very quickly. And I know it's, it's, uh, it's in the works, but thinking about Wingfoot and Westchester County in the fall, I mean, me being a, a former Met PGA section professional up there and spending six years in the Met section, three years in New Jersey prior to that, the fall golf in that area 
is is spectacular. I mean, it's kind of like the Masters in November, right? You, you're going to have some some cooler, crisp mornings. The the golf course, in theory, should be as firm and fast as they would want to get it. You know, maybe the leaves starting to turn a little bit could be could be visually spectacular. Well, it's late summer, you know, and uh, t- technically until September 21st, and so it's catching that glimpse. You, you, yes, you, you're on. You, you're right that there's no no better month in the Met section than September. It's a, it's like a it's a secret. Every it's a shame all the a lot of the clubs punch the day after Labor Day. Um, everyone's back to work, but uh, you get that just gorgeous sweet spot where the humidity lifts, and then every course this turf just speeds up. Um, that will be they could get <laughs> talk about having greens that could get away from them. Uh, those those green they will have no problem having those greens be magnificent if that's the case and, and you know it's I understand all the reasons why it's it's on a it's on a June weekend a Father's Day weekend uh, but honestly if the USGA ever wanted to uh, have a, you know I guess you you never want to compete against football I guess that's the lesson they've all learned but uh, a U.S. Open in September which is probably the only time we'll ever see it if it does happen that is that will be outstanding. The Masters. How is the Masters? You know, it's a it's a CBS entity. They're deep in the throes of college football, professional football. I wonder how they're going to reschedule their games. I mean, could you see could you see the uh, you know my Florida Gators playing at uh, 10 a.m. in the swamp <laughs> on a Saturday, or or some of the other teams playing at uh, you know all night games or something? I guess that's the beauty of football, right? You could play potentially all at night. They could just have a bunch of games and have a and, bye week <laughs> and push things back or have a bye week. I mean, you know, all of Augusta, it's kind of interesting to read a lot of the stories because in Augusta, they've had to because there's so many volunteers that help out with the event. And, you know, from uh, pine cone cleanup to garbage, clean, you know, to make the golf course pristine at every second of the day, you know, they've had to change all of the. The, the school dates and they've had to do a whole lot of things because there's the whole town of Augusta really shuts down and, and you know, Augusta national is the epicenter of that week. I mean, the whole dynamics of, of what they're, what they're doing, you know, it's similar, but you know, they're having to make all of these alterations and then potentially doing it six months later as well. Well, a lot of those, a lot of those local Augusta residents depend on that, on renting out their houses or it's uh it's an opportunity to, for everybody to sort of make extra money. I remember talking to kids in high school and they were, they were working the concession stands and um, that whole week, that whole week is a boon to the town, obviously. So they, I, you know, I, I admire that the, the, the Augusta National Golf Club is committed to having it, you know, for a variety of reasons, but also to help support their local partner, which is the town uh, that they need. Uh, to make that to make that event possible yeah all the hotel rooms and everything if you had a a reservation there it was uh it was canceled under the radar i know mine was and yeah looking forward to to all of what's to come we're going to see a lot of things this week still this feels like master's week and you know there'll be a lot of things shown on espn cbs a lot of past masters really none better than last year's with tiger woods and his whole resurgence to the game. But what's really, really cool right now is we have a great guest who's really in the know of all of what was revolving around these events, and that is 
Golf Week and Golf Channel's own Eamon Lynch, and he's going to join us right now on the Silver Club Podcast. Enjoy the listen. Okay, I'd like to welcome Golf Week columnist, Golf Channel contributor, and self-deprecating tortured golfer from Northern Ireland, Mr. <laughs> Eamon Lynch, to the Silver Club Podcast. Welcome. Not necessarily in that order, Steve, right? <laughs> Oh, comedy. You you are you are one of the funniest guys. We're going to get to some of your comedy in a moment, but uh we'll we'll go through that throughout uh, throughout the pod. But uh did your master's room get canceled in Augusta cuz I got a I got a message the other day. Actually, I didn't even get a message. I had to call the hotel and cuz I got ahead of things for a November date for this new November date and I got a I I reached out and they said my room was was canceled and I don't have a I don't have a place to stay I might have to sleep in my car how about you Well you can't have my couch let's just get that straight <laughs> right now we actually golf week typically rents a couple of houses for the golf week and USA today staff in Augusta so we had a house that were, we actually had two houses rented that were then canceled and I'm assuming we'll be renting a new then for that week of November 9th but I did see several people who uh, tweeted at me that their hotel reservations got cancelled. There were hotels that were typically less than a hundred bucks a night that were charging, you know, a thousand dollars a night now for that week in Augusta. But that's you know, everyone in town, I guess, pays their mortgage based on that week. Uh, it's it's capitalism at its finest. But yeah, look, yeah, that's that's that is the week that Augusta gets cranked up. Closer to home where you are, you live in New York. And we've seen you most recently from your home studio as a Golf Channel contributor in Stider. Uh, day 24-ish of social distancing, according to your, to your Twitter pages. How are you coping up there? Certainly thinking and, and praying for everybody in the New York and New Jersey area up there. Yeah, I mean, things are pretty rough up here at the moment. There's a certain eerie quiet around certainly New York City where I live in Manhattan and there, there just simply aren't that many people on the streets. I mean, there are still too many on the street, frankly, but there are just a fraction of what, what one would accustom to be seeing here. And, you know, we're, we keep hoping that the, the peak is near and we get on the other side of it. And that also comes with the awareness that the peak has not yet started for, for so many others in this country that are going to suffer through this as well. So all you can hope for is the best and get on the, get on the other side of it and see when some sense of normalcy can come back. Well, we, we certainly need that normalcy and we need to get some, you know, just get some sports on TV. We need to get back into golf real quick. But uh, just for our listeners, we met back in New York when I was a head pro of the Met section. And I learned then that you have a, a large affinity for golf instruction and you've been through a few instructors. I mean, for me, at least, you know, I've been actually hired and fired within the same complimentary bunker lesson within about 10 mm -hmm. minutes. So <laughs> I, I thought that was that was really funny. But it appears to me, though, in all seriousness, that when I read your articles and watch you on Golf Channel, would it be accurate to say that your approach to your craft you, you go with it with the same thirst for knowledge as you do in seeking the holy grail of your own golf game. Well, yeah, I mean, there's you have to have sort of some kind of curiosity about golf. And everyone who's a fan of any sport, I think, uh, certainly on the level that we are about golf and that your listeners are about golf, there is an insatiable thirst for knowledge. Now, when you live in the Twitter era, there's also the kind of um, intolerable platform for people who are convinced that they do know everything about the game. 
and want to tell everyone else what they know and how everyone else is wrong. But, you know, that comes in every aspect <laughs> of life. And I suppose we're all guilty of that as well. But, yeah, I, I'm as curious about golf now, perhaps more than I ever have been before. But the it's not quite as tortured professionally as it is personally. Because, as you know, I'm one of those people who stand in a dark bedroom in the middle of the night because I've gotten out of bed trying to make phantom swings because I'm obsessing over where the club ought to be. And I blame you and your 29,000 colleagues at the PGA of America because I, I don't quite understand how it is that I always seem to manage to pick a teacher who can't fix me. <laughs> well, maybe there's a coincidence there in the student, but we won't even go there right now. We'll, we'll keep it We'll keep it relatively uh, tame here. But you spent many years as the editor for Golf Magazine, and now we've seen you. You're you're in with Golf Week, and we see you on TV. How, how does your day to day, you know, outside of our current lockdown, how does our how does your day to day really differ now than what it used to maybe when we knew each other back in New York eight ten years ago? Well, thankfully, I don't have to go to offices anymore. I don't have to manage any processes anymore, which is was interesting for a very long time uh it's not something i miss at all and uh, now i i write for golf week typically i write uh, a column every weekend if there's some news story during the week as, as there has been now with the scheduling over the last week uh, i write something like that i do a, a weekly video for golf week and then for golf channel it's as and when they call and i've probably done maybe a half dozen shows on golf channel which is kind of this guerrilla broadcasting operation right now trying to do it from home as as you know you know it's a tv is tough at the best of times to do from your own living right. room is even tougher i guess but so the weeks tend to be somewhat unpredictable and if i'm on the road for golf week which i probably go to maybe 12 or 15 tournaments a year then i'm probably going to write every day while i'm there your office is, is a little bit different every day and maybe yeah certainly more on the road and and out with the with the people at all these these great events. Speaking of great events, the Masters. We've learned that Masters week now has moved to November twelfth to the fifteenth. Other than the disappearance of the spring pollen that we all love to hate, uh, what does a fall Masters look like to you as compared to the traditional April spot? Well, I guess the big issue is going to be around the agronomy of the golf course, which I'm certainly no expert on, but I've been watching and reading a lot of guys talking about that over the course of the last couple of weeks when it became apparent that we weren't playing in April. And we also were talking about a golf club that has perhaps the only golf club in the world that has an unlimited budget. So I think if anyone can create optimal playing conditions in November, it's probably Augusta National. And it's also a golf course yeah. that closes all summer anyway. It typically reopens in October. And I can't imagine the, the members of Augusta National play in any kind of dodgy conditions in the fall anyway. So it's not <laughs> probably not that big a leap for Augusta to do it. But, you know, we Augusta National and the Masters has always been one of those cornerstones around which the golf calendar operates. And for a lot of golf fans, particularly those of us in the Northeast, it was always the signal the end of winter. You know, we're into spring. This is the Masters is here. You hear that familiar music in Jim Nance, and we're going to hit the ground running for the rest of our golf season. And now we're, I guess, we're just kind of flipping it a little bit because now it's going to be the kind of, one would think the final farewell to the season. It's like, okay, we, if we get it in and we can play it under any circumstances, I don't care if there's snow on the ground, if we can play a Masters in November, then I think we will do so because as a country, we're in a better position 
than we are now in, in terms of a public health emergency. And, you know, the, the masters would be the great swan song to say, okay, this is now behind us. Uh, let's start looking forward again. It's a cool point that we're going to be able to, if everything works out as scheduled, we're going to have the opportunity to, yeah, we're going to have two masters within six months of each other. Uh, it's going to end this end the year and it's going to begin the year. So, uh, as a golf fan, as a as a golf journalist like you are, I certainly can't get enough Masters. Uh, talk about the, the the players within the Masters and maybe who this helps or who it hurts. You know, how do you think it might delay? How do you think this delay really might impact uh, a guy like Tiger Woods uh, over the course of time? Does or does it impact him? I think it could only be a positive for Tiger because he clearly had not been playing much. He was clearly physically below par over the last couple of months. That, that's been quite apparent uh, by his inability to actually play on the PGA Tour, which he's attributing to a stiff back. So giving Tiger another you know, six, seven months from now to get ready for Augusta, it can only possibly be good for him. I think it, it's, it's, you know, it's a great unknown because we're never going to know who would have won the 84th Masters had it been played on schedule this week. We find out who wins it eventually, but we, there are a lot of unknowns in, in this game now for this season where things may have turned out differently. You've got to feel for a guy like Rory McIlroy, who's probably going to go there as, as close to a prohibitive favourite as Augusta National can give you because the worst finish the guy runs up these days is a T5. And he's obviously performed really well at the golf course before. He's looking to complete the career Grand Slam. So, you know, things seem to be aligning for Rory McIlroy to get that moment. And who knows what his game's going to be like the next time in Magnolia in, in November. And that probably be a bunch of other guys out there who felt as though they were, they were in good form, they felt confident, and um, that, that may not simply be the case six months from now, because also a lot of these guys aren't going to play a lot of golf for another two, three months anyway. With any of your insight that you have in this golf world, have, do you have any knowledge of my, of who might be working on their game more? I mean, we all know Tiger has a practice facility at his house, but any word on any of the players like a Rory or if they're able to work on their games or if their clubs are closed? I don't know what courses are actually closed or open in Florida these days. All I can tell is guys seem to be spending a lot of time on their peloton. I don't know how much that's actually going to benefit them, but I guess it's probably good for the the lung capacity for walking up and down those hills at Augusta National. But, I mean, they're all in holding patterns. And some of these guys are unfortunate enough to live in areas where the golf courses and clubhouses and stuff are kind of off limits these days. So they just have to make the most of what they have, which is why you see a lot of them working on the more physical aspects of the game. And they're doing a lot of Instagram live chats as well, I guess. Yeah, we've seen Bryson DeChambeau and we've seen certainly Rory with his on his Peloton sweating like he's in the... Sahara Desert out there but you know talking about Rory McIlroy and you know and before this current situation that we're in all happen what you're all doing is discussing the ever-changing golf landscape right before the players you wrote an article in Golf Week about Rory McIlroy where you appreciated how he spoke out against becoming part of the premier golf league you know he doesn't really seem I think the point is what I'm trying to make is he doesn't really seem that he has any hesitance about openly speaking his mind to the media. As a golf writer, do you wish all these years that Tiger might have taken the same road and been more open with you guys? 
I think a lot of people have covered Tiger over the years would have liked that. But I suppose you could flip it around and look at it from Tiger's point of view and assume that people always wanted him to be something that he wasn't. You know, they wanted him to be uh, an Arthur Ashe figure or some other kind of seminal leader on issues outside of his own game. And some people aren't necessarily that inclined to be that way. And I certainly think Tiger is one of those guys he's never seemed to have taken a position on anything of note. And he's certainly been, he's a leader in the game based on his resume, but I, there isn't much evidence out there of him having been a leader on, on other issues. And, and that's certainly by his own choice. And in, in Rory's case, he's, he's a fairly thoughtful type. He spent a lot of time thinking about different issues. And on, yeah. on the Premier Golf League, certainly it was dragging on for quite a while. He was getting asked about it. And earlier in his career, when Rory would express an opinion, he tended to get a lot of blowback because he was one of those people who, when he was answering a question, he, he, he would always make the mistake from the manager's point of view of answering the question he was asked, which in media training, they tell you, you don't actually have to answer the question you're asked. Just say whatever you want. But Rory <laughs> would ask the question that he had not necessarily thought about a great deal before, would answer it, but he would be thinking through what he thinks about on the topic while answering the question. And, you know, if you think about it some more, eventually your answer changes on these things. So he, he could talk himself into little corners back in the day, but he's, he's a lot more kind of thoughtful now. And I think he's confident in where he is and the stature he has. And it was particularly interesting on the Premier Golf League because everyone else talked about it in terms of their loyalty to the PGA Tour, or they talked about it in terms of not wanting to give up that independent contractor status and be told that they had to show up for 18 events a year. Rory alone was the one who said he didn't like the fact that a Saudi Arabian butcher who chops up journalists was putting the money behind it. And he deserves credit for saying that when the rest of them didn't have the stones to do that. It's a strong stance from somebody in his stature, for sure. And it's refreshing. I know they that the players live on this knife's edge. Yeah, they can go one way or another. And But, uh, you know, as a, as a fan of the game, for, for me, and, and certainly a, a part of the media that I do, it's definitely a, a refreshing take. And I certainly like the, uh, the stance that you take with Rory, for sure. And just let's move on a little bit just to the, the major championship landscape now that we've had. Um, you know, the PGA Championship is going to be now August 6th to the 9th. And on the Fried Egg podcast, you recently said that that date may be the most ambitious. And then you move to the Open Championship that was scheduled for Royal St. George's. That is canceled, just like Wimbledon over there. Really what I want to talk to you about, though, is the U.S. Open. Mid-September 17th to the 20th. Living in New York like you do and seeing what's going on in your backyard, give us a picture of how you're hearing this will all go down and maybe the the, the corporate footprint uh, of the U.S. Open. And what, what do you picture U.S. Open in September at Wingfoot to look like? They, I think the U.S. Open is, I'm a little more optimistic, that would be played simply because it's, you know, it's another, what is it, five months from now until we get there. So let's hope that the circumstances on the ground in Westchester County are a lot better then than they are now because Wingfoot is only four miles away from New Rochelle, which is a town that was locked down a couple of weeks ago because of an outbreak of, of coronavirus right. there. But I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful it's going to be played. I don't expect it will be played with any kind of corporate footprint simply because the, the corporate build-out at Wingfoot was shut down uh, several weeks ago as part of the, 
the government lockdown of, of non-essential workers here in, in New York State. And I don't see any of these tournaments, PGA Tour events or uh, major championships that are played for us this year, having anything like the conventional corporate build-out that we will see. Yeah, just surely because the yeah the, the manpower required to to create all those, yeah, it certainly takes a lot of time. And and I don't think you want necessarily to be encouraging, you don't want to be encouraging people to stand there and hang out at the bar in a corporate tent as well, because even the both the health concerns and the optics of that aren't good. Plus, you also have to find people who are willing to hang out surrounded by, you know, a couple of hundred other people in a corporate tent and they may not be there. Yeah, no question, no question. Now, Wingfoot, they have two great A.W. Tillinghast golf courses there. Was there any talk about both the golf courses being played? Because there's going to be, what, about three hours less of daylight than there would have been in June. Yeah, I talked, uh, did a story yesterday on what was the backup plan for the USGA because they're only playing in September because the RNA cancelled the Open Championship at Royal St. George's. That would have been the RNA's date, which would have then forced the USGA to go later in the year. And the USGA had opened conversations with Tory Pines, they had opened conversations with Pebble Beach, and they were, had ultimately settled their focus on perhaps staging the championship as late as December at Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles. And they, of course, could have done that. I mean, it's been 25 years since Riviera had a major championship when, when Elkington won the PGA there, and it's generally now considered too small a property footprint to host a major. And it can host a regular tour event, but not the vast infrastructure of a major championship. But of course, there will be no vast infrastructure of a major championship for the rest of this year. So suddenly, Riviera seemed a lot more viable as an option to host the US Open. And on as late as Sunday, that was the contingency plan the USGA was still working on until the RNA finally had their call that they were going to free up those dates in September. But the change, as you pointed out, from losing those three months on the calendar is is a war against daylight and the USGA confirmed to me yesterday that they're going to reduce the size of the field from 156 to 144 which you know saves them uh what is it four tee times in Thursday and Friday and that's not an insignificant number of tee times when you're fighting daylight do you think that will be just a pullback of of spots in the sectional qualifying they they've eliminated the local qualifying for the US Open but the 36 hole sectional qualifying to my knowledge is still in play do you think they'll just pull spots out of there that would be my assumption i i think it, it it's almost like the that's the low hanging fruit in terms of the how people qualify for the open and right. turn one section of qualifier from you know eight spots into six in several different places eventually you can get there by attrition i don't see them really messing around with any of the other main categories of qualification so what's your prognosis for phil mickelson to get back there i know he's 61st right now in the official world golf rankings it'd be pretty amazing if it there wasn't much golf played and he wasn't able to get that last spot wouldn't that be pretty ironic it would be tough for phil to get into a car date given how little competitive golf is likely to be played between now and then but phil mickelson is going to get an invitation and an exemption offer to play now he has publicly said he will not take it um he may rethink that given the fact that he has not had the opportunity to play his way in as he thought he would have when he originally said that and you know he's right. the second real US open venue phil has, phil has history there having come so close 
perhaps closer than ever at Wingfoot in, in 2006. But, you know, Phil was the US Open story that keeps on giving. His day for winning this tournament, I think, has long since passed. I mean, he has not remotely contended in the US Open since Marion seven years ago when he was a much younger man. Uh, but he still adds something to the tournament. And it would be great to see him there again. No, he definitely adds a lot. And uh, we, we certainly can't uh, forget that 2006 meltdown that he had. And I think as a, as a golf fan, we'd all love to see him try to just give one last shot there and try to reprise uh, what was a, a great championship. You know, in a Golf Week article you wrote back in February about Phil, Phil Incorporated, if you will, you know, you talked about him having a much longer runway than Phil the player, just like we were talking about. You know, and you said that Mickelson understands that his power is no longer dependent on his performances against the kids on the PGA Tour, but it's best exploited in controlled environments where established celebrity has currency. Where do you see Phil in five or ten years? What do you see him doing? Well, I mean, this rumor going around now, which is not a rumor, they've been peddling it for several weeks, this Tiger-Phil match uh, that would involve uh, Brady, Tom Brady and Peyton Manning as well, uh, which has now suddenly been recast as a coronavirus charity match, which was nothing of the kind a few weeks ago when they were selling it to sponsors. Um, It's That's where Phil's celebrity has currency for him. He, He desperately wants to compete against and beat these kids on the PGA Tour. You, you saw that when he beat Justin Thomas in the playoff in Mexico a couple of years yeah. ago. It's the like that it gave him, and he loves kneeling those kids. But ultimately, Phil is 50, and his game has been off for quite a while. He, he can still show up once in a while at a place like Pebble Beach and, and perform well because he's got so much institutional knowledge. And I expect Phil Mickelson will contend in some majors, maybe at, at Augusta or, or an Open Championship well into his 50s. But on a consistent week-to-week basis, Phil Mickelson's clubs are not going to keep him in the, the, the limelight as much as he would like from a business standpoint. So you see these kind of gimmicks where he shows up wearing a long sleeve dress shirt to play in the Players' Championship, <laughs> or he stages this match against Tiger. There are a lot, and now he's doing, of course, he's doing kind of cute Instagram videos where he's remade himself as a social media presence with this wry sense of humor. And that's all in service of the brand of Phil Mickelson in a way that his on-course performance doesn't quite match up to anymore. And and I'm assuming Phil Mickelson is thinking of what his last next chapter is going to be because he's clearly going to play less golf going forward on a week-to-week basis on the PGA Tour. What does Phil's next chapter look like? Because I don't think it looks like PGA Tour champions. Yeah, Do you see him in the booth at all? I'm not sure if Phil would take the pay cut to be in the booth. It would depend how badly he wanted the money. Um, I think any network would probably jump at the opportunity for him. And uh, it's very possible. Phil's one of those guys who likes to be part of the action. And being in the booth, calling live golf, would make him part of the action. It's a tough gig to do, especially as former players who still have friends out there on the tour. I mean, that was the great thing about Johnny Miller is that Johnny was so confident in himself that Johnny was quite happy to rip somebody from the booth and then walk up to them on the range the next day and ask them what they were working on. And because, you know, Johnny has all the credibility in the world to do that, as does Phil Mickelson, as does Nick Faldo. It's it's a tough gig to do, but Phil has every gift for it in terms of resume and personality that a, a producer would look for. Well, his comedic genius, it, it only pales in comparison to yours. And if anybody, any of our listeners out there have not 
do not follow you on Twitter or Instagram or have seen your website, AimonLynch.com. You've got to go check all those out. I saw something hilarious you did uh, to Brandel Chambly in particular when he played the Pro-Am at the Travelers Championship last summer where you quote-unquote edited his bio when he was being announced to the tee. And the announcer said, he spent 14 full seasons on the PGA Tour only winning the Greater Vancouver Open in 1998. Just... uh, comedic stuff and your, your your timing is so good how did you guys uh get involved in this great banter that we see all the time back when i worked at, at golf magazine and, and ferry was moving on at the back page columnist uh we were having a discussion as to who we ought to hire for that and i'd made the case for brandle so off we went to scottsdale several of us and met brandle for dinner in this great mexican restaurant in fairmont right by the tpc there and we closed down the restaurant that night and then the other guys went home the next day and Brandle and I went and played golf and then we went back to the same restaurant and closed it down again because at a certain point, and this is a, a trait we have in, in many cities and countries around the world where we finally look up from the table and realize that the staff have their coats on and are waiting by the door <laughs> to leave and we're still there. And we just kind of headed off and that was probably, I'm guessing, about eight years ago and once in a while, I'll take some, you know, sniper shots at him on Twitter. He will re- return fire. Uh, you know, he holds his own. He's, he's a much better competitor on Twitter than he, he is on the golf course. I'd say that these days. Things are not so bad. I would take a lesson from him. Yet, oh, that, that's that's too funny. Yeah, you, you're not going that far. Well, yeah. You, and you also said this week on Twitter, said, today I would have been arriving in Augusta and having dinner with Brandel Chambly. So I guess being locked down in nyc isn't all that bad well it's look it's been great being locked down with you here for the last 20 minutes or so Eamon lynch here on the silver club podcast can't thank you enough i know you're a busy guy you've got to get going we we can't wait to see you again and hear all your knowledge being dropped in your golf week articles as well as on golf channel so thanks so much for your time thanks steve enjoyed it a big thanks once again to Eamon lynch for taking time out of his busy schedule he is everywhere but he is so funny and just what a what a great guy with such great knowledge. And thank you, all of our listeners out there in podcast land. Thank you for subscribing, downloading, making this podcast just the success that it's been so far. Don't forget to download some of the previous episodes, most recently with Dan Hicks from NBC, Lucas Michel, the 2019 United States Mid-Amateur Champion, as well as go back all the way, being that this is Augusta week, go back and take a peek at Trip Bowden, who was the first Caucasian caddy at Augusta National back in the late 80s, early 90s, as well as Jennifer Cupshow. She was on right before she won the Augusta National Women's Amateur. Until next time, everybody, stay healthy, stay safe, and we'll look forward to bringing you another Silver Club podcast real soon.